Welcome to The Trail Ahead, conversations at the intersection of race, environment, history, culture, and the outdoors. We're your hosts, Faith and Addie. We bring on folks from all walks of life to have real, authentic, messy dialogue that can lead to tangible change. Our guest this week is Yadika Starfields. Yadika is an artist, activist, ultra runner, and member of the Osage, Cherokee, and Creek tribes. We dive into topics of representation in art, running as a way to connect with yourself and your values, and the power of reinvention. We hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Yadika. Yes, I'm excited to finally be here with you both and and see where our conversation goes. I know we've been planning this for some time, so it's really exciting for me and I'm ready. I'm ready for this conversation. Yeah, yeah. me too. (laughs) We'd love to hear from you. Like, how would you like to introduce yourself today in terms of, I don't know, whatever aspect of who you are is feeling prominent? Okay. Yeah. My name is Yadika Starfields. Yadika, that's it's pronounced Yadika, but it's always been Yadika my whole life. That is a Muscogee Creek name, and I've, I've been told a couple of meanings of it. It means interpreter, listener. That's one name given to me, and I have another name, an Indian name, that's also Osage, but that's more for like ceremonial purposes. So I have two Indian names, really, but Star, my middle name, on the way to the hospital when my mother was giving birth to me, she saw a giant shooting star go across the sky. And she was like, okay, whoever this individual will be, male or female, it'll be a star because they didn't know gender or whatnot at that point. And yeah, and that's my name. So Yadika Starfields, I'm Osage, Muscogee and Cherokee. I reside in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Muscogee Nation Reservation. It's like where to begin, but today I feel strength in that it is, I think, Global Running Day. So I want to give a shout out to all my fellow friends and runners and practitioners of movement as I do the same. I identify as a runner, someone who really enjoys movement and brings in kind of meditation through that and go about my daily life, bringing that into my process every day. And I'm also a painter. I'm an artist. I'm a colorist. I'm a futurist. And with futurism, I think that is an individual, I think they bring in their own interpretation of what that means. Everyone has their own kind of idea of what that is to them. But for me, it's always thinking ahead to the next and every day is a point of reference. So today, I really feel like the artist side of me is coming out because of, I guess, all the projects that I'm involved in at the moment and the running and the movement and is also aligned with community and so is the art. So it's like a triangle of sorts. But today, I think the artist is most present, probably just because I came from an art store as well and put down a lot of money for some paints. So I love hearing the origin of your name again. I remember you actually were telling us about this in, I think it was the parking lot of the Muir Beach <laughs> trailhead area when we met up together. But I wanted to ask you a question as we start out this conversation, which is, what do the words playing outside mean to you when I say that phrase? Where do you go when I say that? I listen to your podcast and I always enjoy hearing your guests see where they go with that question. And then I always think about where would I go with that question? I always shoot to, I always go to, 
who I am and culturally as an indigenous person and how I grew up in particular and that it be in June and our ceremonial dances are happening tomorrow. I'll go to them and they happen till Sunday. So they're for four days. That word that we describe those dances is called enlonska. And that, that, that word means children at play on the earth. There's a lot of different meanings to it as well, of what these songs represent and the history of where these songs came to us as well from being removed from our homelands into Oklahoma reservation in the late 1800s and early 1900s, we had to adapt. And we had to bring in new ways of being. And some of these ways of being were other tribes helping us incorporate new songs, new methodologies, new ways of practicing new ceremonies because we had to put the old way past because they didn't exist anymore in this new colonial landscape. And these songs, though, and that word means children at play on the earth. And I always think about that when I'm dancing. I've been raised in it since I was five. So to, to celebrate movement and play outside, I think about that. I think about going back to a, a deeper meaning of ancestors and their place on this earth and acknowledging them and celebrating them and being mindful that it, being mindful of the beauty of every day and, and where you came from and that if you have the ability to do that to be outside to move run walk dance then then do because that's a way of celebration and acknowledging that so that's what i think about when prompted with that question and thinking about that that's so awesome. I love that. Thank you for sharing that children playing on the earth with us. Cause I think it is something that gets forgotten. It's like something that we're like told we're not supposed to do anymore as adults. And I love that we get to talk to so many people that are like reclaiming play in a variety of definitions. Yeah. I think play, it's like, we got to acknowledge that, that side of us as well to be able to be joyful about the land. And cause there's plenty of other ways that we have to protect and stand up for for ways for us to be able to play on the lands and i think sometimes play can get taken out of context and for some reasons and for different communities but in the end we're all living and breathing with beating hearts on this earth and we all deserve to be able to find that space of the humanness in it and so that's where that comes from to play with it but yeah yeah, it's, I loved how you introduced yourself because I think those are also like the ways in which I met you were different. I remember I was down at Santa Fe Indian Market in 2013 and hanging out with Dustin Martin, who's now the executive director of Wings of America. And I forget what his position was at the time, but he was a part of my thesis film and just a friend I've learned so much from at, at this point in time. And I think I had seen some of your work and then we were like standing next to you at something and I met you really briefly and didn't have any idea that you had any running background. And then because your name is so recognizable, a few years later, when Ricky Gates was running across the country and came through Oklahoma and was running with you, I was like, whoa, wait, same Yannicka. So cool. When did each of those parts of your life, both art and running, again 
Yeah. When you met me in 2013, I wasn't running yet. Mm-hmm. I would say I'm far from it. I didn't start running till 2015. And prior to that, when you met me, I was probably still, that was a big transition point from 12, from 2012 to 2015, coming from New York City, where I was a bike messenger from 2003 to 2012 in Manhattan. And that was a wild culture. Growing up in your mid-20s and early 30s in New York City as a bike messenger and staying alive every day to, to do that to make ends meet, and then at the same time trying to paint. And in the earlier years of that, I was doing a lot of graffiti coming from Boston into New York City. So I lived in a very wild time, wild culture and group. It was super fun, but definitely some wild times. And I think after 12 and came to a decision that I had to get out of the situation for my work, for my art, for who I was, for my health and for my wellness, because I grew up in Oklahoma, I grew up with my culture, and I knew that there was a lot of beautiful things out there, and New York City wasn't it day in, day out, from Battery Park to 125th Street, east, west, all day, every day. And two, the partying was just too much, and I couldn't do it anymore, and I was drawn to it for sure, the social aspect of it. And that wasn't me either. So I had to make a big flip transition in life, and... It was in that, it was in those years of 12, I think when you met me, that was happening for sure. I knew of Dustin, that he was running at that point. Like I said, I wasn't running at all. I had, didn't even think, it didn't even cross my mind that I would be running at some point. And I didn't even really know to the depth of what Dustin was and what he did. I knew that he was also an artist. And so I, I worked with him in that capacity. But yeah, it came to me running, I'd say, as a way to, to be better, to heal. And it was just one mile at a time for me just to complete one mile. And it was on the treadmill. I remember in Pawhuska, Oklahoma at the Osage Nation Health Facility. I was with my sister and I was just on the treadmill. I was like, oh, okay, I just got to get one mile. I couldn't even do that. And then I remember I got it, got a mile done. And it was like a big revelation for me. And a couple of weeks later, I was trying to go around this lake in Oklahoma. That's three miles. And then my goal was to just run nonstop for three miles around that and eventually got there. And then it just evolved from that point, from that moment. And I've learned a lot, gained a lot in that process from those years. And it's been really beautiful. I, I mean, there's, this, there's so many things to talk about in that journey. And I think I have in, in, in some podcasts here and there. But in talking about it, it always changes too because new memories come up. And I think if this is a part of the healing that I'm also seeking is that being able to talk about it because it is hard to look back at where you were and who you were influenced by these different ways or putting these things in your body that wasn't really making you who you are culturally. And I think just as you are as a human being on this planet without any toxins in your body, just being able to be present with your mind, body, and spirit. So. Being where I am now and being a runner now from those years has really helped me. It's enabled me to see that and also find new meaning in my art and to keep it healthy, to keep me having the longevity that it's going to take for me to keep practicing that. 
as I get older with it. And I think it's going to work its own magic with running as well as I get older with it. And as I'm learning new measures and means of running and what it means to, to run, because in these short amount of years, I've already been able to travel all, all over the world with running and have done some of the most iconic races already that I would have never thought I would have been doing. It wasn't on my radar at that point. I didn't even know there was trail races in 2015, really. So it's been a really beautiful journey and it's really been able to really help me be healthier, but also really influence new work and new ways of working in my painting process and also evolving the communities that I work with. So it strengthens me to be able to give a strong voice out to maybe people who need it or that I can help other individuals in collaboration. So it's been really beautiful and it's evolving daily for sure. Thank you so much for sharing that, Yataka. I understand fully, both from myself and from others in the community, how complex our relationship with running can be and talking about where we came from maybe before we started that pursuit or while we were getting into it. I was actually interviewed for one of our, Faith and I had a project a couple years ago called This Land, and this didn't end up making the film, but I remember that our friends who were helping us with cinematography said, Addie, what does running mean to you? Why do you run? And I answered with tears, instant tears that I didn't know were like welled up inside me. And it all came out as like a, whoa, I had no idea that I had this kind of emotion around this sport. So I just really appreciate you sharing what you did because I know it's never a simple answer or a simple path. Like it's all, it's, there's a lot in it, I think for a lot of us. So thank you for that. I lived in New York City for six years and would ride my fixie around, but was nowhere near the messengers. That's like next level, like different world. I had friends that were messengers too. And like the proximity to community, I definitely understand like both the like kind of mania and the draw of it. And I think it, and I had always been around New York as a kid too. So it was like, when I finally left, it felt like multiple ways, right? Like I felt like I had to like grieve and mourn the person that I was when I was in New York because I was also so identified with that person. Like I didn't want to let go of that person. I felt like that person was like definitely a partier and then also had all of this like creative stimulus all the time. It was just like moving and going and making. And there was a version of success that wasn't even like financial or notoriety or anything like that. But I just felt like, I think there's something about the energy of the place where I was like feeding this need every day. And I think regardless of what different people's experience of that feeling is it is so hard to be on the other side and see that there are different possibilities and like different ways of expanding and like what you said Yadika evolving to be a different kind of person but I think sometimes when you're in it the idea that there's like an evolution outside of that is really 
hard to see. Yeah, it's definitely hard to see if you're in it. And it takes takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of strength because you do form an identity. And I still have that identity of <laughs> there's some there's a part of it that's never gonna leave because I love going back to New York. I was just there a few weeks back in the city and I borrow a friend's bike, Austin. I think you might know him, Austin Horse, and we are good friends. We started our messengering around the same time back in the day. And he lets me borrow a bike or I get a city bike and I'm just like flying through Fifth Avenue or down Broadway, like old time. And it's great. It's fun, but I experience it in a new way and it's also beautiful. But yeah, I identified with it so hard. I just had to get a clean break and really find out a new identity. And it was grieving and mourning. And I had to let go of a lot of things and heal. It took three years. I think it was like three years until I went back to the city to see it in a new light because there's so much that was ingrained and embedded in me with that identity and just what who Yataka was as an artist, as a person, as an individual. I identified with New York City and the East Coast, but to hear where I am now in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I've been part of the community back home for the last five years, a part of this residency arts program and doing my work and back with my community and trying to create stuff here. It's been nice and I'm glad I have that, that, that knowledge to see where I came from, to know that, yes, I did that as well. Then I survived it because I know a lot of friends that didn't survive it. You see all those white bikes, those ghost bikes that are around the city and in different cities of cyclists that have been killed. Yeah, I could have been a statistic. I could have been one of those for sure. Whether it was just from a bad truck driver or coming from a bar one night, either or. And I say I survived it because you're not really thinking that that and that way of safety really when you're in it. But yeah, I'm happy to look back at it now and see where I came from. And, and it's definitely helped me with some knowledge. I would say street smarts for sure, probably, but also how to, how to work with communities or build or have goals as well. So it's been good to have that knowledge for sure. And Addy, thank you for that. Yeah. Earlier when you mentioned, you know, what, when you were asked what, what running means to you and tears came out. Cause that's real stuff every day. It's like, you're confronted with what's running, what's life, what's a job, what's family, what's love. And we're only human and crying. It's a part of that. Laughing is a part of that. Celebrating is a part of that. And when I'm on some of those long runs out there, you definitely tears come out because it's a mixture of both like celebration and also still mourning, still healing and still remembering where you came from. So yeah, there's a lot there too, but it's all beautiful. Um, and I'm just happy to be happy to sur survive those years in New York for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I really loved what you said, Yadika, in the film, No to Run, which we will no doubt talk more about today, but also link to so folks can find it. But I love what you said, and I'm going to paraphrase, and I apologize because I loved what you the way you said it, but was you really see who you are out there. Like it starts to really show, like not just in a way of what am I made of and what can I achieve? It's also like you see who you are, <laughs> like your own self starts to come into clearer view I think in these longer efforts and absolutely the celebration the heartache it's all there and I also loved your description of feeling like the like your ancestors were with you during that time 
and what that meant to you. I encourage folks to go watch this film because it was extremely transformative for me as well to view it. But I was actually curious before what I was just going to ask you is how running translated into ultra running and longer distance trail running from treadmill (laughs) running on the treadmill at first and maybe exploring shorter distances earlier on. Yeah, that's a fun, that's a fun journey (laughs) and evolution for sure. I, I've done it, I guess, I feel like I've done it right and in a good manner with a good speed to it all. And not necessarily speed as far as like pace, but just speed is like being consistent with it and with running and wanting to be eager and learning about it and talking with people and, and showing up to what I need to do to get better with running and, and with myself and healing. And yeah, I started with that mile and then it was three miles. And at that point I was in Seattle, I think after that treadmill year and I joined the Green Lake Track Club. And I, that's when I first started running with individuals. And at first I was hesitant, but I did it and I really enjoyed it because it, I got to work with people and other runners and it helped me to show up and maybe find speeds and that I didn't know I have. And I just get around the spirit of running a bit. And so then it was about whittling down my 5k times from 30 minutes, I think, to when I started and. I love doing 5Ks. I still do. Like anywhere I go, is there a 5K happening because it sh- allows you to show up somewhere and see a new place and we'll see what you have that day and just get out there and run and celebrate. So I, I love 5Ks still and I'm always trying to PR no matter what 5K I'm doing. That's always fun. And yeah, I was doing 5Ks, then 10Ks, and it was whittling down my times from 30 minutes to 25 to 22 and then. I remember when it was, oh, we got to get some 20 and then got that. And then it was, now it's like pushing further down. It's sub 18. Then can you get the 17 something? And it's just, there's that evolution there and you train yourself right. And now you have this knowledge of how to run and health and doing strength training. And eventually you'll get it because it is, you have that knowledge of you built yourself up to be this strong and running through the mental aspect, but also through the muscle aspect as well so you can show up and perform well because you have this knowledge because you showed up but yeah it was a half marathon and after that i was wanted more and i signed up for 50k in Tahlequah, oklahoma and that's where i grew up that's where i have my first memories in northeastern oklahoma and cherokee county that's really beautiful there the lower ozarks i grew up on the river up there in the illinois river and there's 50k that happens around that area and i wanted that to be my first ultra long race. I wasn't really interested in a marathon, but I wanted something a bit longer and I did well and I felt good, learned a lot in it. And I definitely got caught the bug. To, I couldn't walk for sure for a week after that, but it something changed. I really enjoyed the process of it and being out there and just where my mind went in it. And that was 2016, I believe, was the, my, my first ultra 50K. And And it's been a gradual climb from there, from 50Ks, hang out at 50Ks, then 50 milers. And then, and I always knew, I think after the 50 milers that, yeah, I think I maybe want to do a hundred. I don't know. I'm happy with fifties and um, then a hundred Ks. And I never jumped to a hundred. I always wanted to work my way up to it and hang out at different distances for a while, even for a year and a half and do a few and get to know what that's like. And and then it went to a hundred. So. That's where I'm at now. 
And so coming up in August is, yeah, I have Speed Goat in July, 50K for the climbing. I need the climbing. It's 12,000 feet in that. And it's going to prepare me for UTMB in August. That's 110 miles maybe. But I remember Faith talking to you a while back asking you, because I remember you did a UTMB race and I was just really so stoked to see you do it. And I was just like all excited, like asking you like what it was like. I remember reaching out to you about it, but yeah, there's still excitement, that excitement in it. And I, cause I know what that adventure is going to, what'll happen. Of course, it's going to be terribly hard at some points and you're going to find new ways of being, but it's just, I don't know. It's so beautiful and special being out and seeing these places and being able to see the world like that. Uh, Addie and I's relationship really solidified that year. That was what? August 2017, Addie, when I... Okay. (laughs) Which one are you doing of the UTMB series? I'm doing the main one, UTMB. Oh, the main one. Oh, gosh. Um, Congratulations. That's so exciting. Thank you. Yeah, I've been trying to get into that for, for, I'd say, five years, UTMB. And I've done TDS there. I've been around that loop a bit before, so I know what's out there, what's coming. And I've been out there a few times prior as well, just to hang out during UTMB weekend uh, with other runners that I know from the UK that I'm friends with and just be out there and run and help how I can and just chill out. So I'm looking forward to going back and finally doing UTMB. So cool. Yeah, that is, it's going to be awesome. You also, I wanted to ask about cycling, gravel biking, how that came from maybe being involved in the running community and I have some background on I'd love you to talk a little bit about the name change of the race in Oklahoma and maybe that how that brought you into the cycling community as well and maybe even how you even first got involved in that effort to change the name yeah gravel biking here in Oklahoma so I, social media, I want to give a shout out to social media for helping that and where we are with, with Instagram and we're able to see things. And if we don't like it, then we can make a comment on it or maybe get the attention of race directors or organizers or artists or community members. We can do a lot with reaching out to folks via social media. So that's how it started with me and the name change that you're referring to, which is the, it used to be called the Land Run 100. And now it's Mid-South Gravel Bike Race. So I, it was just, I, I had heard about it. I went to high school in K through 12th in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I'm super familiar with Oklahoma, those backcountry roads out there. Although I never cycled it or run it because I wasn't running at that time. Um, it's just part of my knowledge of growing up there. So coming back home here and there, I, I would see that there's this new event happening. And also I, I was, I, I'm a cyclist. I, by way of being a bike messenger and also racing track bikes at Casino Park. So I have a background in cycling as well. And I was never really interested in gravel. I was like, oh, that's not my thing. I would never be doing that. I guess I was too far flung with being, being this like radical bike messenger person. But also, too, something didn't set right with it either, that it was this name of the land run. In my eyes and how I felt that this event with that name provided all these visitors that came to Oklahoma to 
to participate in this event, it was almost like they were reenacting what happened. I think it was 1914. I can't put the year on it. But when Oklahoma, when they gave out the land, parcels of land to all the settlers to come in and claim land, stake claim to land in Indian territory that was given to us and create the state through that way. And so with this name, it was almost as if in my eyes, and how I thought that these cyclists are coming here without any knowledge to what this name means, but and no knowledge to the history of Oklahoma. They could be coming in from Virginia or California, bringing their bikes and just cycling out there. It's almost as if they're like just claiming the land with this knowledge, but with no emphasis on the real history or the indigenous peoples of that place. And so I, I said something, I can't remember if it was in a message or just on a comment. Bobby, when told the race director, saw it and reached out to me, and we've had. We had conversations, started having conversations at that point about it, and we met, we talked, and it was a couple of years of conversation, and then we got to a point to where we're going to change the name, and he had already made, I think he said he had been thinking about this, but he didn't know the right ways to go about it or do it, and I guess it was my comment that kind of prompted that change in all these visits with me about it, and then introducing other Indigenous people that he, he should talk to and work with about it. And so that's set a chain of events for other organizations to look at themselves and names. And I know DK, it was Dirty Kanza. I think it was maybe that's Unbound now, which just happened this past weekend. And yeah, these things signify dirty is, is an awful word. It shouldn't even be really used. Dirt and soil and Kanza is the name of a tribe, of a people, of a community. And saying that just throws a whole tribe of people under the bus. It's just it's gross. And so I'm glad that name was changed as well. And yeah, so it's just really changed the events of things. And in doing this and working with me, that, yeah, I'm an ally and we want to make these things correct and these conversations real in movement and sport and especially in a place that I call home that I'm from and where my people are from and my communities are from that has such a enriched history of indigenous people and communities and hardships and celebration and removals and whatnot. And I was happy to be a part of it now, I think. And it opened my eyes to see maybe this new community in another way. And it allowed me to get back on the bike as well and explore Oklahoma in a new way that I never had before. At the same time, I was ready to step up to the challenge because I am stronger as a person from my healing and from being healthier and it allowed me to get back on the bike again maybe not in manhattan by delivering packages but also but uh, to race again i enjoy racing i enjoy the challenge and the goal setting of it just like at, at casino park it's super cool to hear the background i remember this happening but i wasn't i wasn't sure like i didn't know it was you had reached out directly and had gotten a direct response which is so important too I think sometimes people don't I don't know they either they just take it as a criticism they get defensive rather than really listening and and it's interesting too because it takes you taking the effort and then I'm having all these additional conversations and getting to the point of like a a friendship and a participation and all of that and I think it takes a lot of effort on for everyone involved to choose to go down that path together but so important to change the names of these races like the dk too it's like who would make that 
race in the first place in mind. I'm like, wait, what? Why would you call it that? And then for the land run, you're, I think you're completely right. Having people come and act like it's this fun thing to recreate a history of literally stealing indigenous land. Like, why would that be the activity? And that's not the activity. If the activity is a bike race, make it about that. Yeah. I really am thankful that I've been able to like, just watch from afar as that, as you put out that effort and did that work. And now I think more people will feel like there's a reason to participate in that and even to get involved, even if they're not already cyclists. So it's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's been super cool. And I'm still working with Mid-South and Bobby Wintel and we've become friends and, and that's what it takes sometimes. And you're absolutely right. And some people don't want to hear it and don't want to work with you, but it was the opposite experience. And I'm really thankful for that too, because I know it can be hard trying to get, especially a white community or individual who runs something who is using like heavily influenced on culture or indigenous symbolism, it's hard for them sometimes to understand the depth of what they're doing because they just don't get it. Then you have others that are really interested to learn and to work with it and see because how we grew up as people in the United States were taught at an early age that there's so much culture that's erased and we're taught a certain way and we're never taught the correct way. We have to learn it throughout our life. And some people are sheltered from that. And it's unfortunate that a lot of race events and running events have to For some reason, they love using Native Americans. They love using indigenous symbolism, arrowheads, headdresses, skulls. It's just, it's never ending, really. And I still see so many ultra races and races out there. So still going to that. And it's really, and people show up, their faces are painted and they're running. It's it's a big sigh, but I've had quite the opposite experience with Mid-South and it does bring out other riders. Now we have a big contingency of indigenous riders out there and it's getting bigger every year. And I lead group rides out there during Mid-South and I encourage more indigenous people to come in. And we also have black riders coming in and it's just more inclusive. It's a better place to be that this gravel bike race is more inclusive. It's more community oriented and based because we are willing with Bobby's help and the community's acknowledgement of this that we want to be the best we can be as people and community and celebrate that through cycling. And I just hope that other race directors or events that might be seeking kind of similar guidance or similar names from where we came from with that change, here's this, or there's people out there that can help you find a better meaning and layout for your event. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting, Yadika, that you're diving into this a little bit deeper because we get reached out to a lot on the podcast. I think maybe me specifically with some of my white friends who reach out saying, okay, what can I do? Like, how can I, what's the action? What's the, how can I help? And I, I feel like there's so many things and yet there's no quick, clear answer. And yet this really strikes me as a very clear path forward for some folks in the outdoor industry, specifically who are involved in races or events that might that might be causing harm to participants or driving participants away, potential participants. And I think that naming and uh, but yet also erasure of culture and misrepresenting and appropriating culture in a lot of these events is just something that we can end right now. Like we can all work to 
together to do that. And I don't mean to sound like a Hallmark card. I just like really believe that. I think if the more people listening can start to help in that effort, because it does take a group. Sometimes it just takes one change maker like yourself to really change something and speak out. So thank you for doing that when you did. And thank you for doing the work you're doing. And I also want to encourage like folks listening, myself, Faith, any of us that can help, like how can we get more involved? How can we help? So that's a really interesting thread of conversation where I don't always find a direct call to action from some of our conversations, meaning like when people reach out saying, what can I do? There's many ways, even starting with self-education on different topics. And I always encourage us all to be better at that. But I just think that, yeah, how can we help? How can we help this this very clear, I think I'll call it like a wrongdoing or like a very clear sort of error in the outdoor industry right now in, in amongst events that are happening that I just think need to stop being called what they're called, stop being appropriative in the way that they're using and appropriating cultures. So anyways, that's really interesting and something maybe we can all get together and help with. Yeah, it takes more than just one person. It takes a group of people and efforts to come together and find solutions and then do it, make a leap, cut ties with something, grieve the past if you need to. But I know too, also from experience that there's individuals and maybe it's being stubborn that just don't want to give up on their beliefs, which is I think where we are in America. But it, it's unfortunate that these beliefs or these ways also have to tie into running or racing and these events. But I do think that from this experience and even what you're saying and people reaching out to you that we're, we're, we're having success. We're at a point to where people and communities and race directors and organizations are seeing that this is what's happening. This is what is necessary. This is where we're at. This is where we're going. So get on board or you're not going to be relevant because the stuff you do isn't healthy for who we are as a people and community. So I think that's good. And I see that too. So I'm happy that's happening. Speaking of, I think, changing things through running, I'd love to hear more about the work you're doing with Jordan Whetstone and Rising Hearts and how, yeah, how running on Native lands is one of the initiatives is called, has been a part of your running life in the past few years. That's a really beautiful collaboration that, again, I didn't see coming and I didn't plan on, but I'm happy to be a part of it. Jordan reached out to me and about a few years ago, yeah, I guess last year, the beginning of last year, and asked if I wanted to run Western States as a runner for Goo Energy and for Rising Hearts as a selected runner. And it was a really a no-brainer for me. I was like, yes, for sure. I never thought I'd be running Western States because of the difficulty to get in. And that it also coincides with June, our ceremonial dances. So I just never even bothered to try. Although I did have a qualifier since I did Black Canyon 100K. So that's what also allowed me to run it. So that really catapulted me into diving into working with Goo and Rising Hearts and working with Jordan. I had knew of Jordan before, I think, because I had worked with Dustin, too, going full circle again back to Dustin Martin and Wings of America, that I got to know Dustin now 
as an artist and runner because I was more interested in running and what he did. And I ran with him in Canyon de Chez as well, that 50K that they have there in Arizona. On Diné and Navajo Nation lands up there. And, and then from that, I worked with him as a runner, as the charity runner for Wings of America in Boston Marathon in 21. And then I got to work with Jordan a bit because she had raced that prior and we did a pop-up mural in Copley Square because it was on Indigenous People's Day. And so we pasted an image of Jordan and we painted up stuff around her and I got a chance to talk with her via online and phone because she wasn't there at the time, but I got to know her a bit more. And, and at the same time, I was getting more acquainted with everything that's happening and running and other Indigenous runners. And I think everyone was laying down groundwork for where it is now. We're always laying down groundwork as Indigenous people, whether you're an artist, whether you're just a community member working, staying afloat, or you're an athlete, we're always laying down groundwork so others can see and be a part of it. And then we can do what we need to be stronger because how I see it is that for us as Indigenous people, as and now as I see it as athletes, we have to create our own platform to work together from because it's not given to us. It's not created out there for us. So we have to solidify our knowledge and form groups, form strength. And that's what Rising Hearts is. That's what Wings of America is. I'm sure I'm missing some more, but I've gotten to know a lot of these runners and we all know one another. We all know what we're doing. We all know where we're from and who's doing what and the good work we're doing. And so she had reached out to me, I guess, because she had seen that in me and knew that I could rise to the challenge in that. So I owe it to all my showing up, staying consistent and running from 2015, 16 to that point in 21 and 22 to be the runner for Goo Energy and Rising Hearts and for Indigenous people and community and to create this collaboration that we're still doing. And now I'm working with her. I'm getting to know who she is and what Rising Hearts is doing. And I'm happy to help because it's all for the better for our community and helping individuals inspire people to be healthy. We just got back from Minneapolis and we were there talking on a Q&A on a panel like we were screening. Lydia Jennings had her film up there with Patagonia. And then I then we showed our film too, No to Run. And it was a really beautiful conversation and panel talk. And that's a part of it, being able to go a bit further than the film and show up in places and communities and talk about your work and yourself, where you're from, who you are, and maybe help inspire some of the individuals that are there to find something in themselves to, to heal if they need to, or just to be healthier because as an indigenous people, and it's not only indigenous people, but a lot of communities of color that it's hard for us to celebrate movement for all the means that are out there. Why it's hard for us, there's plenty of them. We're taught at an early age, actually we're not taught about health and wellness. So we have to find it if it's there by means. And it's hard to do that because of how much things cost and then food scarcity and things like that. There's so many reasons why these communities of color are the way they are and colonialism in America. And that's a whole nother big conversation, but I'm really stoked that where I'm at now 
with finance. Hey all, so you may know of Lululemon mainly from yoga, but did you know they also make things for hiking and running? We got to do some gear testing on the side of these episodes and got to see much of the hike and run collection, so be sure to check it out. The other cool thing we wanted to share with you is that Lululemon just announced a new initiative, Further, that celebrates human possibility and demonstrates how far women can go when they're supported with resources and product innovations typically reserved for men. The initiative will culminate in a multi-day ultramarathon that begins on International Women's Day, March 8th, 2024. Further will also include components like a holistic scientific research program addressing the existing sex and gender data gap on endurance performance, new women-first product innovations, community activations, and a give-back program to support young women. Learn more via lululemon.com slash story slash run dash further. And stay tuned for future episodes that will feature athletes from the Further Initiative. I wanted to ask about your art. You described it as futurism, which totally makes a lot of sense to me. And I, the words that come to mind, I'm like, it's layered and it's like melting. And I'm like, but I don't, I'm like, I'm far from an art critic, but it's so vibrant. And I know you also do watercolor and also work in really large scale and murals. There's just such a range of the art that you do. But I guess, can you talk a little bit about your art and what, I don't know, what you enjoy about it, how it feels to be making it when you like, get the inspo for a new painting or whatever it is. We'd love to just hear you talk a bit about your art and your process. For sure. Yeah, I grew up in an artistic household. My parents are artists. My mom is a clay artist, sculptor, textile artist, traditional artist with Osage-driven work. My dad's a photographer. He documents traditional knowledge and histories and does a lot of portraiture and landscape photography of individuals in our community, ceremonial grounds and things like that, a lot of black and white photography. I grew around, grew up around all that. And then going to exhibitions and galleries and being around other native artists throughout my life. And I enjoyed it. It was always fun. But also at the same time, I was drawing a lot as a kid and entering art competitions. And as I got older, it progressed to painting and I was entering in painting competitions throughout junior high and high school and winning national awards for works. And it was just something I did and something I enjoyed, but then it got to a point, okay, are you going to go to school for it? What's your path look like with art? It's going to be a profession. It's going to be a job. And then you step up to the plate of what art is and what's the business of art. What does that look like? And you have to figure that out. And But I think the big thing was, and still is like, what message are you am I personally trying to convey with it and what style are you going to be making your work? Because you want your work to stand out, but to be acknowledged with so many artists out there trying to vie for a spot, to have a spotlight, to have their work seen, to be appreciated, to be heard, to be held and to survive off of, you know, I mean, sales, that's a part of it. For me, it was a lot of trial and error, I think. And even today, this day and age right where I'm at with my art, I'm really humbled and honored to have a place for it in a few galleries and have my work in institutions and museums and be 
in a place where I'm in an artist residency and I have support and that I have this knowledge of where I've come from that I've been giving, been giving the support throughout my life from other artists and mentors and things like that to get me here. So that's really deeply appreciated because it allows me time to explore that question, which is daily. What is it that I'm trying to convey and paint? Of course, it's very colorful and it's multifaceted. There's oil paintings, there's watercolors, there's large scale murals and spray paint. I would like to do more sculptural work as well. And it just takes a lot of time and effort to explore that. But at the same time, I come from a lineage of being of activism. And I want my work to hold messages, to be able to bring out conversation, to find solutions rather than just aesthetically pleasing or very colorful. I really want to provoke and incite conversation to things that really need to happen because I think it's really crucial and necessary that art have that. We live in a place today where things are highly accessible. Things are highly easy for us to do, to appreciate. And we're in, in a crossroads, I think, on the planet and world of things that we need to do to be a better planet, healthier, for not only environment, for people as well. So what kind of work, when we talk about art, do we want to make that's going to help better the world in that way? It's always evolving, this conversation of what it is. But yes, I love painting landscapes. It really sets me out. And I've been doing that since 2020. It sets me outside and really appreciate the beauty in life and really practice my hand in motion and capturing color and essence of life. And I give myself about an hour to make landscapes and I bring paper and paint with me when I travel for trail races. And after the race the next day, maybe I'll sit down somewhere for an hour and kind of decompress of what happened and just experience the situation and these landscapes and make a painting about it. And then I can bring that knowledge into my studio when I'm painting with oil paint to remember that essence in my hand. So it's always muscle memory. But two, I'm always thinking about what it is I'm making. What kind of artist am I? And that's daily. And it's just what kind of runner am I? Because I like to challenge myself to like paint. But also at the same time, it's just about free association. It's about stepping into the zone, stepping up to the plate, and letting all those memories, all that knowledge, all that trust, all that support be present and then just create without really thinking. And let it happen. Let something really come out in you. It's just like when you're on the trails, you're running. You have the base already built. You just got to trust yourself and then play. Be free. And that's the same way of painting. But again, it's just like training you. You got to show up. You got to get in the studio. You got to make work. And it's a big part of me. It's who I am. It's how I was raised as well. And I think, too, something that's coming up right now is that balance between hardcore training and running and then hardcore painting in the studio. They're similar. They're both endurance fests, but painting has to take precedence over running for me, for sure, because that's first and foremost who I am, and that's my biggest strength. And the running and the celebration of movement is secondary in that it helps me stay healthy and support my painting with longevity. So it's always constant in thinking of what it is and where I'm going with it, but I dig it because it allows me to engage in the world through color and through making and through process. And there's art all around the world. And I want, I want to see it all if I can.
So awesome. Yeah. And I think what you said about like training and practice, and I'm always grateful for the discipline to continue to practice, like whatever the practice is. One of, I, I can't remember the exact Krista Tibbet quote right now, but there's something around hope is a muscle. And I think that really helps me even think about what else takes practice. I think I don't know if I didn't have the discipline of practice from sports, if I would have the same discipline of practice at difficult conversations, at patience, at optimism, like at all of these other things that I think the discipline of pushing a painting to that next level or saying, no, it's not there yet, or starting over when you don't want to start over. And same from running is, yeah, it moves into all these other aspects of your life. And I wanted to ask about Tulsa and Greenwood specifically, I think, one, because as you know, I was born there and know very little about the place. But two, I think for a lot of our listeners, Oklahoma is in a place where that's talked about very much. We haven't had anyone else from Oklahoma. There's not a lot of knowledge of the history. And as we've talked about, I think it's a fascinating place with so much to share. So I just love you talking a bit about what it has meant to come to return to Oklahoma to be close to home and to be able to be closer to those feast days, but and also to be like taking up and creating art in public space in Greenwood. And that I know there's a big community there too that you've been involved with, but would love to just hear for someone that's never been, like, what it's like. Yeah, I'm actually talking to you near Greenwood right now. And when you get older, you're able to understand things differently as opposed to maybe when you're a teenager or younger and you become more wise and aware of how things work and the real history of places. And that's the case with me being here in Oklahoma and growing up as an Indigenous person, Native person. And you leave the East Coast and do your thing, and then you come back. And I was always coming back, though, for our dances in June throughout my life. So it's not like I was always away, always around it. But since being back in the last six years, living here, working here in downtown Tulsa, I've really got, as I'm older and now I'm more familiar and more knowledgeable with how kind of the world works and how places are and how my activism self is is present as well. My indigenous self is present. My artist self is present. My wellness side is present as well. And so you just get to see how crazy Oklahoma is. And not only Oklahoma, but a lot of states in the United States and their histories and how the politics affect the landscape and communities. Being here has allowed me to see the infrastructure, cultural, political infrastructure of how Oklahoma exists and who gets the cards, who gets the winning cards here. And as a brown person, as a native person, it's tough. I can't imagine. I know it's tough for any communities of color here in Oklahoma. And there's no sugar cutting to what is here and what is still taking place and who's valued and and what's not happening and how we still have to be present as artists of color to do things and to be heard and be seen. 
So it's almost like a new goal for me and mission is to do what I can and help where I can to be an activist, to be an artist here. It's a deep conversation for sure. I just know that still there's so many things that aren't right with this place and in the city that need to be really discussed, talked about. Lands need to be changed over. Freeways need to be taken down. Politicians need to get out of their seat. Police need to be, <laughs> I don't, there's so much. And it really infuriates me that we still have to live like this. I'm not saying that it's a third world country or anything, but that we have to endure this as people. And like I said, it's not only Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's everywhere. And that's our reality. That's our reality as people. That's our reality as athletes. That's our reality as, as people of color. So where do we, we begin and how do we get together and how do we change things? How do we talk about history? And here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it is, we had the Tulsa race massacre here in Greenwood. And then two, everything that's happening at the same time with this Martin Scorsese film about the Osage murders and the killers of the far moon. That was happening at the same time, 60 miles northwest in Osage County, these murders. This is lore and love for wealth and money, killing the indigenous people for their lands and what's beneath the ground, all because of oil. It's all tied together and it's still tied together. It's still braided. The braid is still getting longer. Oil is part of the economy here. Climate change, everything. Where are we going with our communities, with our politics in America? It's all part of this past. And in 2020 and in 2021 through, through the pandemic, I don't need to say what happened, but it was the straw that broke in, in Minneapolis and enough is enough, enough was enough a long time ago. Uh, and we protested here. We brought that up and we had the centennial for Greenwood. We need more. I don't know what that looks like. We need more community collaboration for sure. We need more support. And there's just so much that needs to happen. And it's hard for individuals to do that when we don't have the infrastructure and space in place to, to convene or have the politicians listen to us. So that's a bit, it's very nuanced and there's a lot going on there, but Tulsa, Oklahoma is, has its own history. It's dark, it's evolving. I want to see a better place for it. I hope that with my knowledge, through community efforts and through my art, my experience of traveling and seeing communities that have these certain places and things integrated in communities that have found success in trying to do things, I hope that we can bring that here to Tulsa and create these spaces that can enable better evolution, better change in a place that, that we can heal. I don't know how you heal from that. I don't know if you ever will, but we can do things that can be put in place too create for the next generation. Yeah, I love that. And I'm glad. And I think there are a lot of people who are ready for that too. Anything else that's been on your mind that you've been thinking about and just want to talk about for now? I feel like I'm asking that to a library, by the way. <laughs> no, I, well, I want to go back to talk like quick about the art and running and, and rising hearts is that a cool thing that came out through that is I designed the poster. I paint, I painted a landscape and working with the Washoe community, which is a huge part of that conversation, which I don't know if I brought up, but Herman Fillmore and his family 
from the Washoe community up there around Lake Tahoe, Tahoe, Mini Lake. Working with them, found a place to paint below Olympic Valley, and that was important to their community and made a landscape painting. And that painting became the poster for last year's Western States, their first ever official poster. And proceeds went back to that community and the Washoe community and Rising Hearts. And this year, they also took another image of a painting I did at Western States of Forest Hills. And that piece is going to be the new poster for this iteration of this year. And I think profits and proceeds will go to the Nisanon, which is in that race across the Washoe boundaries and the Nisanon tribal boundaries. So I'm excited again that's happening and that the painting that I make the work and my landscape painting is becoming a part of that running event. And so I think it's really cool how those two things have merged into running events in Western States. So that's super exciting and super cool that it can not only benefit everyone, but bring in color to these races through art, but also give money and proceeds back to the communities that are original stewards of that area. So I hope to see more things like that as well. Yeah, agreed. Poster's so beautiful. I just saw it hanging prominently at our friend Sasha's house. I'm nice. really excited to get the the new version this year, the 2023 art. It's really exciting that that's a part of that race now. That's really, I think it signifies, as you said, a good direction. And it's really amazing that you're able to have created that change, as you said, really exciting. And watching your journey on No to Run was very, really powerful, having been there last year as a crew member, not certainly not going through what you went through, but exciting to see that there's the changes that are happening, like even the deep, I don't even know if you call it a land acknowledgement, the real speech and education that we were lucky enough to be able to receive in the audience that last year around like the communities on the land and the history of the land. That was pretty incredible too. So it's really exciting to see the changes happening for sure. And Yadika, thank you so much for your time. I know we've this has been a long-awaited, anticipated conversation, yeah. I think, from all of us, but we're really just so grateful and privileged to sit down with you today. And I think, to me, this is only the beginning, and we've already met up once. Now we're meeting up again, so I'm sure we will only continue this conversation, but we know that we're both cheering you on and such big fans of your work and are so honored again, honored and privileged to have sat down with you today. So really, thank you for your time. I thank you for having me, and I'm such big fans of you two and the work that you bring about and the guests that you have on this podcast. And I listen to them all. They're really beautiful words, and I love where everyone's coming from and who they are and sharing their journey and also what they're fighting for and what they believe in because it is all collective, and uh, it's a collective experience. And I'm just thankful that I can be here to share mine, a bit of mine. And I was glad to have met you, Addy, recently. at up in California and Faith know you a bit more and I look forward to seeing you too in Chamonix and I think that's going to be a really cool time and Faith still want to get you down here to Tulsa. Yes, it's going to happen. It is going to happen. I'm very, I feel confident. It'll definitely happen. Things will happen when they need that, And it's best not to rush anything but when it happens. But yeah, I'm super stoked to be on here and these things are these conversations are deep and I know an hour and a half is no, it doesn't do any of it justice, but I hope the words could share a little light on where I'm coming from and where I'm going a bit. So thank you for the time for sure.
welcome to the debrief. Thanks, um, Addie. <laughs> Faith, I know, well, there's a lot of amazing topics that came out of our conversation with Yadika this week, but I think that actually what I wanted to ask you about was a recent post on social media that I really appreciated from you. And I think it reflects what a lot of people are thinking right now, where a lot of people might be at, but you are in this place specifically. So I wanted to ask you about what rest means to you right now. What is that topic for you and how is it impacting your life? Yeah, I think it's something that's come up a lot, especially in the past couple of years. And not only with COVID and with something I think that we talked about with COVID was like trying to understand having less capacity every day just because of the mental drain of thinking about this thing. Like I think particularly in 2020, all of a sudden I, I'm someone that has had this like big focus on productivity and getting things done and checking off lists and making lists and crossing things off and like getting endorphin hits from like doing that. And there have been times in my life where I have needed a major break and been like, oh, I've been in this pressure cooker. I went to a very intense, very privileged boarding school in, you know, shout out to the Hotchka school. I had a great experience, but being there and being like captain of the track team and like president of the school and all these things, and then going straight to Yale and like having the same, like being the captain of the track team and being the an RA and dealing with injuries and dealing with all these things and always feeling like I had to perform and then going straight to grad school. And I think when I dropped out of grad school after the first year, I was so embarrassed about it and beating myself up. It was the first time that I felt like I had like really failed at something. And I just remember my dad being like, you tried it. It wasn't for you. It's okay. And also you probably needed a break. Like when's the last time you took a break? Yeah. And, and obviously there's a privilege to being able to take a break, right? If folks haven't heard of the NAP ministry and Trisha Hersey, mm-hmm. like really suggest looking at that. And we talked about it in a, an earlier episode in season one with Lara Edmondson, who talks about like, I am resting because my ancestors couldn't mm-hmm. and I owe it to them to take that break. And I was with a friend recently who talked about how he as like a white Jewish man thinks about that statement from her a lot and thinks about like the different kinds of trauma and generational trauma that his family had and how that affects him and how he also has to rest Mm -hmm. and how it also is something that's like, did my ancestors do all these things, right? Whether it's immigrate or literally run away from violence Mm -hmm. or be enslaved, right? In order for me to just work myself to the bone. So I think that's something I've been thinking about in terms of what rest looks like. I think the other thing that's been interesting is I'm nine months pregnant. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we may need to like, <laughs> let's, let's take a step back here. I don't know if we have talked, talked about, about it. it on the podcast yet. So yeah. Faith is very pregnant. I'm very pregnant. Thank you. <laughs> Literally nine months right now. And... Wow. And I'm tired, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and it's been interesting as someone that like earlier on in my pregnancy, I was like, okay, like my work, I'm a filmmaker. A lot of times that means I'm on the road traveling in the field. And I had this immediate go get it all done until I can't anymore. There was a very clear 
cutoff date with my midwives of this is the last time you're able to get onto a plane. And so between seeing friends and like, I just wasn't able to go to one of my best friend's wedding this last weekend Mm -hmm. because I literally wasn't allowed to get on a plane. But I also, now that I'm here versus six months ago, was like, wow, I can't imagine getting on a plane right now. But there were a few shoots that got pushed or got moved or got rescheduled. And I was like, really devastated that I couldn't go in person and be a part of them. So it's been a really difficult and important shift to be thinking about giving my body the rest that it needs. And when I'm not, like, I really feel like the universe stepping in and being like, dude, sit down. Yeah. Yeah. Like, take a break. And even it was funny, like a few weeks ago, I don't know, I was like 30 two weeks pregnant and I had been on this trip and I came back and I felt a little tired one day. And the next day I was like really determined to go play tennis. (laughs) And I played this really intense game of tennis and was like running around trying to go for all these like shots. And then the next day I was in bed. Like I was like sick. (laughs) No, and I'm laughing Um, because it's like you do the most always, including like at 32 weeks. Yeah, I'm going to go play an intense game of tennis. It's a very weird thing. Which was like so fun. But it is was just like, oh, like learning to listen. You were talking about this recently, which is I was fascinating. And maybe you can say more about it. We can find a link. But like that your body doesn't. How were you saying it doesn't determine? Yeah. What was it? Oh, yeah. I was also going to bring this up, actually. I'm glad you mentioned it. So I was reading in a few locations, and this is like around injury related to actually specifically running in my case. So this is interestingly connected to the episode, but your body doesn't distinguish between life stress and physical stress. So if you like do, and I, I don't know enough about this to speak more to it. I do want to find a link. But my understanding is that if you do a hard workout, whether it's running or tennis in your case, or whatever it might be, your body manifests that or understands, identifies that as a physical stressor, or it just is stress on your body. But if you are stressed out at work, if you are having traumatic life events, or I just experienced something recently with my family that was pretty traumatic and really hard to go through personally and my body's manifesting it this is what I was going to say Faith I actually haven't really updated you on this but my like hips and my legs and just like I can feel my body holding this stress or like kind of a registering maybe that's the better word like registering the stress of my life physically so it's like one of those things where it just can't it simply can't determine what kind of stress you're under. You might be like very stressed out at work and that can lead to injury sometimes, which is just this wild, or if that compounds with a hard workout or like even just a a slow, short run, like those things can really compound. So I thought that was fascinating. I will definitely find a couple links from what I've been reading, but that's the same kind of thing. You're experiencing so much right now (laughs) in so many regards, not just the fact that you are nine months pregnant, but also that you're having to miss things like a best friend's wedding and having to not go on shoots, like those things compound too. And that's, I think what's really interesting is how our bodies carry that stress or register that stress or are impacted by that because it doesn't really distinguish between I just played tennis and, oh, I missed my best friend's wedding. That These are really hard things, both right. of them. Yeah. And then I think 
there's a really bizarre place that I feel that I'm at on the brink of motherhood in a different way. Knowing that I have two bonus sons in my life has definitely changed a lot, becoming like the primary caretakers of two little boys. But to then be giving birth, I think a lot about the choices that mothers and those entering parenthood, but especially for people that are physically carrying a child, that there are all these decisions and some of them don't feel like choices related to what comes next, particularly in terms of like job and that kind of thing. And I've just been thinking about how much people don't feel like there's much of a space to talk about that. And that's a different kind of stress. But yeah, I think in terms of rest, the idea of like radical rest, rest as in taking back time and rest as in saying, no, actually, I can't squeeze in that extra meeting. I can't stay on for 10 more minutes. Or this can be done on Monday. Like we don't know, actually, I don't want to get on an 8 p.m. call on Friday night because there's something with an urgent deadline that like this like false sense of urgency, like everything can't be urgent, right? Right. And now it's it's because of our amount of connectedness, it's so hard to turn off and it's so hard to not respond to things. And we did a feed swap with a podcast where we had an episode with from Wild Ideas Worth Living with Avalyn Escobar and Avalyn from Hike Club was the first person who I got an auto response from mm. when I sent her an email that said, I will be taking my time to look at your email and to think about it. And then I'll take another like 48 hours or something to respond to you. And I was like, whoa, like you just built in four days to respond to any email because and I was like mind blown by that and I honestly wasn't brave enough to make it an auto response but I have something similar in my email signature Mm -hmm. but you won't get my email signature until I do respond right right? so it doesn't do the same thing as like immediately letting you know this isn't gonna necessarily get a 24-hour response and I think it's wild that these days with email sometimes it's a 24-hour response is expected. And I think there's also, we're talking about setting those boundaries that I love that auto response. I love your email signature too, but that's a good point. You don't see it until you've responded to somebody. (laughs) But you, I think we both see it in different ways. I have a day job that is more of a corporate environment, which yes, there are those sort of structures in place for maybe expectations. But I would also argue that folks who are freelance, who set their own schedules like Mm. yourself, in some cases me with the podcast, but it's, there's definitely this, like, how much do you give to it? I almost think it's harder to then set like those boundaries because maybe an 8 PM call feels urgent because it's a project you're working on because it's a client you want to work with or whatever. And it's, it's interesting because, and you really helped me in this a couple of weeks back when I was going through stuff with my family and you said, it's Addie, it's not worth it. Let's take a couple days. It's okay. This can be done on Monday. Or also, I think that in that case, it was like, this doesn't even need to be done. Let's just be give ourselves grace here. And it's in more intense scenarios. There's sort of these moments of realizing like, what really matters here? Mm-hmm. What is really um, pressing is like one way to put it, but that's again, more of the like societal corporate speak. Like what is actually, what matters to you? What matters in this? Does rest matter? 
does talking to a family member or maybe talking something out with a friend that doesn't need to involve deadlines or those late night calls. So I just think that was really interesting in the past couple of weeks. And I think there's, it's really interesting. Like there just seems to be a lot going on in many people's lives that are in my community right now. And I think like a lot, this has come up for a lot of people recently of what matters, what can be left undone right now? What doesn't need to be done at all? Um, and setting those boundaries. And I think that relates to rest. But I also think it's like, when we are not resting, can we also set those boundaries for ourselves going mm-hmm. through our days? I think that's also very important. Yeah. And it makes me think of modeling that behavior too, yeah. right? Like yes. I think scheduling, schedule send on emails has been one thing I've been like really working on. And it's such a simple thing, but it's something that I hadn't used previously. Yeah. But now... If I find myself, because this is the thing, if I'm working at 8 p.m. then, and I send an email to someone, a lot of people aren't even in the same time zone as me, and then they feel like they need to respond. But I also know that they have little kids and they have other stuff. Like, I've more recently said to producers, like, hey, I don't think you need to come on this, by the way. As hard as it is to stop myself from doing this, I'm like, I don't think you need to add another shoot on the end of this shoot that you just did because I think it's right. fine without you being there physically you'll be on call like it's fine yeah as hard as it is for me to do for myself I feel like I'm I'm better at almost doing it for other people but just something mm-hmm. as simple as schedule sin which is these are going to go out at 8 a.m tomorrow they'll yep. be in the top of the inbox which is better because there's less searching for them anyway right and also I haven't thrown out some kind of jarring notification that depending on how you live your life may or may not buzz while you're uh-huh. finally trying to take a moment at the end of the day or you're not coming out of the shower and seeing my notification feeling, oh no, like I have to respond or this is just a quick one or this is blah, blah, blah. I would rather not be immediately responded to at that time, but it's hard to, it's hard to undo a wiring that's been done to all of us. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I think back to Lara Edmondson's podcast episode there's a lot of absolutely colonial structures embedded Mm. in these principles there's a lot of i liked what you said is we've heard this before too rest as a radical act what sadly it is it maybe it's its own kind of downfall that it is already a radical thing but that's okay let's go with it let's make it something that we focus on because it feels like something that yes has been embedded in society in a way and it like extends into the outdoors too right remember our conversations with Lyle about what does accomplishment mean and what does rest Mm -hmm. can you rest in outdoor spaces and still feel like you've recreated in the outdoors and there's a lot there but I think that like it all it's very interesting to me how we need to reclaim that rest Mm. or space in our days and that's something I'm actively, I think we're both actively working on right now for different reasons. Yeah. Just It honestly is drilling down for me to my health. And I think for, mm-hmm. it's like for both of us, there's a health component that I think is too, it's too important not to pay attention to. And mm-hmm. those are, that to me becomes a non-negotiable when like my physical body <laughs> is like, shutting down and being like, oh, it's hard to walk because Mm -hmm. this is how my stress manifested itself. I just really appreciated your post because I think the, obviously we talk all the time too, but seeing some of these these messages you put into the world on social media really hit home in terms of where you're at. But I think it also 
represented where myself and a lot of other folks are at in terms of what does rest mean, whether that's outdoor recreation, whether that's work, whether that's, again, resting your body because you're about to go through a physically demanding time in your life when you then will also have a small baby (laughs) to take care of. It's also what you said is like, what is going to be, what does it mean to be a filmmaker with a young baby? Like the, like the post, like the Mm -hmm. kind of the moving forward in your work. And so I think that all really resonated and I just really appreciate you sharing that and also letting us all into where you're at in your life. And I know we haven't really talk too much on the pod about this but like faith has been working on all of these episodes while she's also been more and more pregnant throughout the spring and summer and com- and complete like with doing the shoots you've been going on a lot of these shoots and i think it's we've been talking about it for months now so it's good to bring it into the more public space of the <laughs> yeah. podcast i think yeah oh yeah cool everyone please find ways to rest whatever that looks like for you and i think that mm. is something that Brittany levitt also said mm-hmm. is rest isn't always taking naps it's also like taking time off and doing things without a pressure to be like creating content or like capturing the moment as you go and leaving your phone behind and just like being in the moment can also feel restful, which I think is an important one. So thanks for bringing that up and talking about rest with me, Addie. Yeah, of course. Thanks for sharing. And thanks for joining us on The Debrief. See you next time. Thanks so much to Yataka for joining us on The Trail Ahead. For updates and additional links, you can follow along on Instagram at Yataka Fields and online at yatakafields.com. Be sure also to check out the film No to Run, made in conjunction with Rising Hearts, which was founded by a previous Trailhead guest, Jordan Marie Daniel Whetstone, which we will link to in the show notes. The Trailhead is created, produced, and hosted by us, Faith E. Briggs and Addie Thompson. Misty Avenger is our editor and sound designer. Podcast art is by Shar Tuiasawa. Check her out on Instagram at Punky Aloha. And special thanks to the team at Lululemon for their support and for the imagery accompanying this episode. Our theme music is a track called All Is Forgiven by the band Alakazam, the lead singer of which is our season one guest, Salema Masakela. We'll link to them in the show notes too. For updates and additional links, visit trailaheadpodcast.com. You can also leave us a voicemail there like what you hear please send us a note via instagram at at trailahead underscore podcast and subscribe please also consider checking out our patreon at patreon.com slash the trailahead thank you for listening and for spreading the word don't forget to check out the video profiles we make about each of our guests and to all of our incredible guests thank you you make the world better see you next episode